Good evening to everyone. Thanks so much for coming. <coughs> so, again, my pleasure to be here with all of you. And, uh, I may speak in a row, no problem? Okay. So, welcome to all the ones connected there also, as well. Um, as we were doing yesterday, uh, we are inviting whoever may like to present if they have any questions, something you would like to, to hear about, some topic you would like to, we may try to develop, to go deep into it. Yes. Dividing line between what actually Recently we had some discussions about it <laughs> with some devotees and good brothers and good sisters. Some, some beautiful turmoil was there in order to churn, churn the hearts and invite us to become more and more essence seekers. Uh, I won't go. I won't go into detail in that direction, but I will speak about the same thing because that's a very updated uh, question. It, it never ceases to be updated <coughs> because when we speak about an, an acharya, <coughs> well, the, the term itself speaks. It, it, the term speaks for itself. <coughs> Someone who is teaching by Achar, yesterday we speak about Achar, someone who teaches with his, her own example. So what does it mean in, in the practice, in practical terms? So we can speak about two uh, expressions of, of what's expected from the Achar, if you will, regarding his presentation of the teaching. Many other things we could say about the Acharya, but let's concentrate in this direction that, that is connected mainly to the, to the question. So, what's, how to, to establish some sort of dividing line between hmm, what's, well, the different aspect of the tradition. Hmm? <coughs> so, we, when we speak of tradition, hmm, the very word tradition may seem a little bit orthodox. No? like preserving the ancient teaching as it is and, and yes that's correct <laughs> but what does it mean to preserve something we are we are nav, so we are aspiring to be Vaishnav that means Vaishnavism is connected to the term Vishnu so Vishnu Vishnu is the deity in charge of sustenance sustainability 
preserve, preservation. You know, Trimurti, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. So, it's relatively easy to start something, to create something. <laughs> it's much more easier to destroy some, what you have started. <laughs> but the most complicated thing is to maintain that thing you have started. So because of that, Vishnu, the, the highest of the three deities, is in charge of that department. The preservation department. Because in order to preserve something, whatever thing, not even the, our particular tradition, but in order to preserve anything, <laughs> some dynamic spirit is required. I mean, you cannot maintain something in the same exact situation forever. But everything is moving, is changing, is developing. Nature is alive, is constantly moving, is in flux. In flux. So everything around us is in flux. So we should be properly in line with that flux as well. So what to speak when we approach such a dynamic tradition as Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Mm-hmm. How, how much flux is there? <laughs> when we choose to become members of Sampradaya, and a particular parampara in that Sampradaya, means we are being plucked into a particular type of flux. Something that is flowing in a particular direction. Our this day of our Sampradaya is Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Mahaprabhu, as you know, is Krishna himself wanted to taste Radha Baba. So he wants, it's Krishna himself wanting to, to flow in that particular flux. The very, the very word Radha, Radha means, well, in one sense, the highest worshipper. But if you keep repeating the syllables, Radha, 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 you get to the word Dhara. Dhara, 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 Dhara. And Dhara means current, flux. Something that flows in a particular direction. So Radha will mean that personality which represents the topmost flux always in the direction of pleasing Krishna. So I'm saying all this just to, in, 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 in some terms we understand we are, we are part of something very flowing, like. <laughs> so a member of the, of the Sampradaya, specifically an Acharya, should have this dynamic spirit. Actually all of us should have this dynamic spirit. Yesterday we spoke a little bit when uh, Anapurna asked about Kanishta Madhyam Uttam. And we spoke, today I was seeing some brief talk by Bhaktivichar Bishamaras also, and he was also speaking about that yesterday <laughs> in Mexico, no? and about how the Kanishta was someone, is someone that has not too much flexibility, no? doesn't have the chance, the, the capacity of accommodating certain details and sometimes the neophyte tends to make the relative details some absolute thing. Hmm? And, and by doing that he, he may be 
making the absolute thing sometimes relative. <laughs> because in, in neophytes, the neophyte is more focused on, the, still in the, in the relative aspect of guru, of the practice, of whatever. It's part of the process. So that's the closest thing to that practitioner, the relative stops. And, and that person tends to take the relative and make that like an absolute, like, sutra for the rest of eternity. <laughs> and that takes that person maybe to relativize the absolute actual aspect. And Vishnu Maharaj was explaining how the Madhyam, the intermediate devotee, is a much more progressive personality. And he knows how to understand and how to separate the relative from the absolute. Or what we can call in English the principles and the details. These two things are always there. We have the absolute consideration and the relative considerations. Or the formal consideration and the substantial consideration. Put the name you want. <laughs> but those, those two expressions are, are always there. I mean, always there, at least you are in this world, and especially if you are trying to speak to the world <laughs> about higher truths. So sometimes some of our acharyas had taken, let's call it, preaching strategies <laughs> in their attempt to present the absolute consideration. But when we try to present the absolute consideration to a relative audience, we should have in mind certain relative considerations. <laughs> So, let's give some example. Srila Prabhupada saying, sometimes, he said, we fall from Golok Vrindavan. So what to do with that? Because every other part you, you read, Jiva never falls from the spiritual world. <laughs> so, dilemma. And Rupa Goswami says, when you find two apparent contradictory statements in the scripture, you shouldn't take the one you like the most. <laughs> it's not that, it's not that I, I pick the thing that is more, more comfortable for me. If I'm after the truth, I will, be, I will be disposed to do whatever is necessary to reach the final truth. So that's what we call Siddhanta. Perfect final conclusion. So Prabhupada sometimes say we fall from Golok Vrindavan in some conversations. In his books he never say that. He said no one can fall from the spiritual world. So again, you have to harmonize that. There is a relative consideration there and, a, and, and, and an absolute consideration there. Absolute consideration is Siddhanta, what the, our Goswamis, our Shastra Guru have taught us, one of the things, Shiva doesn't fall from the spiritual world. Huh? That shouldn't be a, an issue. I mean, we should be clear about that. No one can fall from Golok Vrindavan from Vaikuntha. 
that should imply so many contradictions in our practice. It's not the topic of today, but <laughs> just try to imagine if you fall from Golok Vrindavan, from Vaikuntha, Vaikuntha means no anxiety. <laughs> so imagine if you are in a place where at every moment there is the chance of someone falling from there to the material world. And, and if you follow that philosophy, all of us have fallen from there. So, imagine, so many millions and limited jivas constantly falling from Vaikuntha here. <laughs> so how can you call that place Vaikuntha? No, no anxiety. <laughs> you see your friend, ah, oh, falling too. <laughs> Are you feeling, oh, maybe I'm the next, what to do? No, I mean, it's called Sakunta, full of anxiety. <laughs> so it makes no sense, because... Again, by is a play with people with pure bhaktis there, hmm? pure love, and the, the capacity of pure love is Krishna Karchini, means capturing Krishna himself. Try to imagine this. When you have Prem Bhakti, you are not only transcending Maya Shakti, but you are capturing Krishna. So, if Prema Bhakti captures Krishna, hmm? what to speak of making us transcend Maya Shakti attracts? the all-attractive, how can someone with such a prem be attracted to Maya Shakti? <laughs> if, if Prem Bhakti not only transcends Maya Shakti, but attracts Krishna. So, lots of inconsistencies are in that theory. So, but the point remains, why Prabhupada say that? <laughs> so, so, there we go with, to the relative consideration of what we may call preaching strategy. But for understanding that, we have to put in place so many considerations of Desha Kala Patra, time, place, circumstance. And, and sometimes for understanding this, we should really be, will, be ready to make a whole social and generational study of the particular moment where the Acharya was speaking. <laughs> Because if not, we can say, yeah, Prabhupada said that, and we repeat it, but we are not fully aware of why he said that, which was the environment he was facing at that moment, and so many considerations. The other day I was reading one very nice book about life and precepts of Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, exactly, exactly a PhD study from one devotee very, very recommended book it's called Modern Hindu Personalism by a Swedish devotee you know him Ferdinando Sardella his PhD name <laughs> and he there what he mainly makes is trying to go in depth into the in the moment that Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was and which was the reality surrounding him at that moment. But very detailed study of the political times, the social circumstances, the so many relative things, but that helped the reader a lot to understand why he did what he did. Because if you do not, underst do not understand that, you may do just copy-paste of that and try to reproduce yeah. that 100 years after, <laughs> and it won't work. <laughs>
those relative strategies. Again, certain truths will be always the same. We are always Jiva, Krishna is always the Supreme Personality of God. <laughs> but how you present those eternal teachings in a, in a constant changing environment, that's a big challenge. Again, Bhakti Thakur took off the Upavita, the Brahminical thread, for showing Vaishnavas are beyond Barnashram. He took off. You won't see a picture of Bhakti Nautaku with Mupavita. Mm-hmm. Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta came and brought the Upavita back. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to show, to create, to establish this idea of Daiva Barnashram. Because at that time, Barnashram's consideration was so strong in India, and he wanted to establish a preaching mission, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. So he wanted to create an order of sadhus inside the society, if you will. Mm-hmm. And since Barnashram was a main consideration in society, okay, let's enter through the door of Barnashram, showing how the Vaishnavas are part of that and beyond that after that. So. But again, the important thing is not if I have or not the thread. <laughs> I know even a contemporary Acharya who take the thread out again. Because they say, well, in Western countries it doesn't make a difference if they see with you with this or that. They will say, oh, a Brahman. So, the point is that we shouldn't get stuck into those relative details. So, uh, Srila Prabhupada mentioned this idea of returning to the idea of falling from Golok. Because, try to imagine, he was coming from another planet, <laughs> or coming to another planet. <laughs> imagine, a sadhu living in India at those times, <laughs> living in Vrindavan for many years, at that time, Vrindavan was different <laughs> than now, if you will, and suddenly crossing the ocean and landing into a this different constellation called New York. <laughs> I mean, we may try to imagine that, but we are not able to fully grasp what was the challenge there. So we know he was praying so much, he became empowered so much in the Jaladuta, so many things are there. And he arrived and he started to, he presented something, but on the way of presenting that, he started to make so many adjustments as well. You know, he said, for example, you should chance one lakh per day. Uh, and he immediately, he saw the faces of his disciples and he realized, oh, this was not the proper now. <laughs> so he said, okay, 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 okay. Don't desperate. 32 rounds. Half. Half price. <laughs> and the devotees still were like, too much. So he said, okay. Half that, 16. <laughs> but no, no less than that. So, the point is, it's, and, and sometimes nowadays even the devotees say, we have to, think, to chant 16 rounds. And maybe someone chants 32, you are wrong. You should chant 16. <laughs> okay. My understands, Prabhupada, I initially wanted to give some standard, 
with this I'm not saying everyone should chant certain number because if not you are, I, I'm not saying that each case is individual but my point is that he landed and he started to realize oh I have to be flexible in this in that in that and because of his flexibility also he was so successful because of many qualities but one of those was he was very flexible in a proper point not going to the heterodox extreme of doing whatever thing so regarding this idea of falling from Golok understand that Prabhupada was facing a Judeo-Christian audience basically basically no idea about Hinduism, what to speak of Gaudiya, Vaishnavism, not single idea about it. No books published yet. <laughs> now we enter Google and download PDF, the whole database, whatever, but at those times... <laughs> so he realized, oh, there is a strong Judeo-Christian DNA present in this audience. So sometimes he says certain things that may sound not so extremely different to the background of the audience he was facing. So, so he felt sometimes not devotees coming from this Christian idea of falling from grace. And he felt at this moment if I explain to them the real philosophy behind where, why we are here now that would be too much to digest now. It's like in, I don't know, if, if a two-year-old boy asks his mom or dad, Daddy, how I was born? How did I came here? <laughs> so he will tell the old tale of Siwenya in English? Chuck. Chuck? The Chuck coming and putting in the chimney? And you, you came home one day. <laughs> and the child is happy with that story oh, <laughs> for that time for that moment it's okay <laughs> after some years he will need a more specific sophisticated theory <laughs> so the same is with the Acharya and the disciples like father and son as we say yesterday hmm? so Prabhupada realized no? some dis- most of my disciples are once he said my grandchildren are coming, but my children are not coming, he said once. <laughs> like realizing, no, they are quite immature yet, not criticizing them, of course, he loved them, but realizing, no, I, I cannot give them, I mean, Prabhupada gave all to his disciples, <laughs> but also gave that in certain way that they could digest at that time. But we know, he also gave himself in the form, for example, of Srila Bhaktira Kaksidat Goswami Maharaj. That also Prabhupada gave himself in the form of sadhus like Bhaktira Kaksidat Maharaj. Maharaj. And you went to Srila Siddhar Maharaj and he was saying something different than Prabhupada. But at the same time Prabhupada said, everything I learned, I learned from him. <laughs> so the, the, the challenge is there. How can I find Prabhupada, Srila Prabhupada even though he's apparently speaking something different so we have to go beyond the form and go to the substance 
So in this, because of this Prabhupada say, okay, we fall from the log. No, do, do not mess with the topic, let's continue with spreading Krishna consciousness. <laughs> but he had the idea in mind, with time they will learn in more in detail certain aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, by saying this, we are not insulting Srila Prabhupada. Prabhupada gave all, in one sense, but at the same time, if he were to be here today, he would be saying so many more things to his more qualified disciples. It's logical. I mean, the Guru can't, can't give you everything from one. And once he gives you everything, he gives you Harinam, he gives you the Bhagavad, but the process of digesting all that and really measuring what's in all of that, that will take some time. And, and, and the Guru will be there to accompany Diksha Guru, Siksha Gurus, the Guru principle. So, so Anacharya should be very well. So, 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 like this, we have many other examples. I won't enter into detail, but you know, I know you have the famous example of Buddha. Buddha is God saying God does not exist. Madhu. Such a preaching strategy. <laughs> it's God Himself, but He has to say, I do not exist. <laughs> In order to take people to certain stage where they can understand something more. So after that comes Sankaracharya saying, Okay, let's bring back the authority of the Vedas, but everything ends in Brahman. Buddha say everything ends in Nirvana, zero. And Sankara say everything ends in Brahman, one. Zero, for zero to one there is some, some progress. <laughs> but after them came all the devotional charyas, Ramanuja, Madhva, Mahaprabhu, showing that after zero and one we have 108 and 16,108 and an infinity positive number. <laughs> but Buddha was Krishna, Sankara was Shiva, all of them were in the same line, if you will, but covering certain things, not saying everything, because the relative situation didn't allow that. You see, but he was Krishna, <laughs> he was Shiva. <laughs> So you understand, no? sometimes even God himself or greatest people like Mahadev like respond to the specific circumstance in order to teach the importance of this. The important Bhagavad commentator Sridhar Swami Mahaprabhu revered so much his Bhagavad commentary but you read his commentary and in many parts it seems he's promoting Mayabad. <laughs> but actually he, he wrote the commentary in such a way to attract the impersonalist people from that time and in such a way that finally get to get them, take them to the essence of the Bhagavad so again there was some relative consideration there <laughs> in order to how to deliver the absolute consideration properly so many other things the, the sannyas of Mahaprabhu in one sense is a preaching strategy. Krishna doesn't need to take sannyas. And Krishna is not a sannyas. <laughs> Krishna is a transcendental playboy. <laughs> so suddenly he takes sannyas. 
So did you have to understand why? No, you know. So that's a preaching strategy in one sense. He considered at this present moment, I'm trying to give something, but people is not understanding me. No, I'm giving my uh, Sanskrit grammar classes, explaining every datu, every verbal root in Sanskrit pertaining to the name of Krishna, but audience is not appreciating my madness. <laughs> they think I, I, I've gone too much. So I think I have to take some particular stance in society so to take their attention more positively. In part, sannyas is this, no? I have these clothes, so you say, oh, one swami is coming. Let's go. It's a swami. <laughs> Just a strategy to, to catch your attention. <laughs> but our goal is not to be swami. Sannyasi Mahaprabhu himself say, Nahambi Prona Chana Rapatin Nabiva Yishuna Sudro Nahambar Nina Chani Rapatin Dovana Stoya Tirva Kintu Pradyam Nikila Paramananda Purnam Vritab. Then Gopi Bhartu Pada Kamala Yor Dasa Dasa Anudas. He said, I'm not sannyasi, nor vanaprasa, nor anything in Varnashram. I'm just a servant of the servant of the servant of Sri Krishna, the beloved of the Gopi. So, but Mahaprabhu say, okay, if I'm sannyasi, people will pay more, atten- more attention to me. And if I accept sannyas from a Mayabad background, people will pay even more attention to me. <laughs> so he received sannyas from Kesha Bharati, who was coming from a no? from Advaita Vedanta background. Of course, we know he was converted by Mahaprabhu in that moment when he said to him, I dream, I have a dream about the mantra you were going to give me. Is this one? And he repeat the mantra to Kesha Bharati before, before receiving. That Tvam Asi was the mantra at that time. No? That's not the same mantra Sannyasis received now in Gaudiya tradition. So Tattvamasi is one of the great Mahabakyas of Shankar, or great postulates. In, in how they say in ancient English, like Tho, Tho? Instead of saying you are that, Tho are Do. Do are. <laughs> but also a devotional perspective that means you are His. <laughs> From Krishna. You belong to Krishna. So Mahaprabhu repeated the mantra to Kesha Bharati with the devotional conception in mind. Is this the mantra Tatuamasi? You are his? And Kesha Bharati said, Oh yes, that's the mantra. <laughs> and he was no, initiated in the devotional conception. But externally he accepted sannyas from a Sankar background. And at that time those sannyasis were especially privileged. So Imagine, no? that's the whole preaching strategy. He sent Nityananda to get married also. He was an Abadut, totally beyond social considerations. But he says, please marry, establish in society and preach. In those places I cannot go as a sannyasi. So, another preaching strategy, strategy there. And so many. So the point is, we should be able to understand the necessity of keeping in update with this uh, idea of establishing. We should, on one side, be, uh, know the teaching very well. I mean, I, I'm speaking in the case of an Acharya especially, but of course all of us, but especially an Acharya should know the, the, the teaching of the scriptures very well. Hmm. That's one of the main symptoms of the Guru mentioned in the Bhagavad. 
तस्मा गुरु प्रपादिता जिज्ञासु श्रेयतमा शब्दे परे चनिष्णतम रमान्युपमाश्रय सो ही हेज टू बी शब्दे ही हेज टू बी नॉलेजेबल इन इन द स्क्रिप्टर ही हेज टू इन ऑर्डर टू सॉल्व द डाउट्स ऑफ द डिसाइपल and also of course he has to have inner wisdom inner insight be properly situated beyond the urges of the senses so on one side the acharya has to know the conclusions of the tradition no? that's not something that will change no? again it's not that jivas do not fall from the spiritual world but since prabhupada said now they start to fall from vaikuntha <laughs> it's not like that <laughs> sometimes i i heard the devotee say things like this no no like prabhupada created a new siddhanta no? like it, thinking they were glorifying glorifying prabhupada but <laughs> i i don't think prabhupada would be happy to hear that <laughs> that people saying you are creating a new siddhanta it means you are getting apart from the siddhanta of your guru and the parampara <laughs> So Prabhupada himself says, if there is something bona fide in me, is that I have tried to present everything as I have received from my Gurudev. So, but also the nature of the Siddhanta is uh, unending. Because we may say, okay, the Siddhanta is... Many Siddhantas are there, of course, no? Many Tattvas. Bhakti Tattva, Jiva Tattva, Maya Tattva, Nam Tattva, Sadhana Bhakti Tattva, Bhava Bhakti Tattva, so many Tattvas there. Guru Tattva. So, when you properly get the knowledge of all these Tattvas, that will give rise to particular types of realizations. And each member of the Parampara have to give their own new realizations as a contribution to the whole line. It's not that you only repeat what your Guru say to you. Of course, that's also there. But your Guru will say, but you have to develop your own realizations, your own insights. <laughs> Because you may repeat, like, I mean, parrots repeat. But also parrots, as it said in regarding to Sukadev, they bite the fruit, and, and when they pick, they can make the fruit even sweeter. So, so in the beginning we may be the first type of parrot but with time we, it's, it is expected that we become the second one the one that may no, extract new insights from revelation <coughs> and because of this there is always necessary a, a, a dynamic uh, contribution of new commentaries to the scriptures spoke about that the other day. Ours is a tradition of commentaries. If you pay attention, so many of our church have written commentaries to, to the same book. You yourself can ask, why Srila Prabhupada wrote a commentary to the Bhagavad Gita? Because some people say, nobody else can write any commentary after him. 
but you can also ask, but why did he write, wrote, write one if there were so many others before him? Why he didn't need, he did just not like translated and presented, I don't know, Baladev Vidyabhushan's commentary, Bismarat Chakravarti's, Bhakti Notaku's commentary? Well, because of many reasons. <laughs> one, he, has, he had his own realizations to share by properly connected to the previous commentaries and previous acharyas. New, new insects were there. And also, because he presented the, the Bhagavad Gita, in the case of Bhagavad Gita, all the books he presented, in a particular language, considering the particular audience he was facing at that time. So, the point is that times changed. Uh, from that time to now, it's more than 50 years, half a century. <laughs> so, also, Prabhupada himself, that day I was reading one link where he were quotes of Prabhupada asking his disciples to write. To write their own books, to write their own... To, to express their own realizations into their words. So that's a very important thing to, to do. To continue the flow of the Sampradaya, the Parampara. So... Regarding these two considerations, the absolute consideration and the relative consideration, new commentaries are all always, should be always there. Regarding the absolute considerations, new commentaries should be there so the Acharya can share their, their, their own realizations. And regarding the relative consideration, new commentaries should be there also in order to approach contemporary issues in a contemporary language even. Even on, on the grammatical level, sometimes after some years, some words are no longer in use or, or some words start to have a totally different meaning than some years ago. At least in, in my country that happens a lot. <laughs> And with this gender gender issue and, and so many things that after some years require updating. And preaching means approaching a particular audience at a particular time with a particular psychology. <laughs> so these are relative considerations, but we depend on them a lot. <laughs> In the beginning, we don't. Have, most of the people doesn't have the, 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 the capacity to, just, to get in touch only with the essential thing and transcend every relative aspect. So Prabhupada also considered these relative aspects and made his presentation in a very genius-like way. No, we know of many examples that he, he made in his that in this in his time was totally practically condemned by many God brothers for many people allowing ladies to enter the altar to enter the kitchen on this on that it's like <laughs> so we see that actually every time every acharya has to go through the same situation. <laughs> 
the ones who are really dynamic, they know what adjustment to make, but most of the rest will be just criticizing them. Because they are not in that place and they can't understand what's going on there. In one sense, it's, un it's understandable, no? Because for one who never went out to India, you cannot imagine what's going on at that time in the United States. <laughs> so, so sometimes we need to make this exercise of trying to em empathize, like to put ourselves in the place of the other, to really understand why did he say that, why did he did that. Because if not, we can quickly like conclude or judge <laughs> the other person. But we didn't take took the time to to do that exercise of putting ourselves into the other person's situation, and also to know the person, because I cannot sh sh give an opinion on someone if I do not know the person. So, so ours is a tradition, but it's a dynamic tradition. So that's the, the, the it's a big challenge because. We, we have to present uh, like an ancient philosophy but in contemporary terms. The philosophy is the same, we won't change the Siddhanta. <laughs> but that, keep, that, that, that can keep developing no? the Siddhanta. On the original, let's say on the original Siddhanta of our Sampradaya, <laughs> so many new realizations come come and should come year after year. But on the relative issue, consideration, well, different sensibilities will be there. And it's, this is a very individual thing. It's not an absolute law like in this particular moment, 2019, the relative consideration to preach would be, should be this for every Acharya. <laughs> That's not possible. Sadhguru may be preaching in a particular country with a particular situation. He had to take certain stands, <laughs> and some other will be on the other side of the world taking a different stance. Ex external, it seems they are doing different things, <laughs> but their inner motivation may be the same. We want to help people to deliver Krishna to other souls, to present the message in a, in a way that sound, resound in the heart of people. So, adjustments are there, but there is not some magic formula, formula to know how to do it properly. For that we require intelligence, sensibility, good guidance, and especially to be open-minded. But also there will be also the, some currents of people who will be more liberal and more uh, conservative. <laughs> and there is a place for that on some levels. I mean, remember that we are individuals. <laughs> we are not just the same thing, all of us in the same way. Yeah, we are jivas, but individual jivas. So some devotees will be a little bit more flexible in some things in a, in a proper way some others will be more conservative in some other things in a proper way. No problem. Diversity, but in the context of a common goal. 
So that should be celebrated. If we find diversity, but expressing itself in the context of unity, of the common goal, we should celebrate that. That's our philosophy. <laughs> the same and different at the same time. You have to learn how to live with those, with that tension. Not too different, not too the same. Because if we go, everything is the same, we become, we end in Brahman. <laughs> and if everything is only different, it's just material duality and conflict. So we do not want to lose any of those. Nor unity, nor diversity. We want the two of them. So each of them should learn how to complement in our life. So, so we should be very careful about not like criticizing some devotees for certain adjustments they are making. Or at least before criticizing, taking the time of really entering to the background of, of what the other one is doing. Why he she is doing that, which is the particular environment there, what's the nature of that person that takes himself to do that, what's his intention behind that. All those things should be put in consideration before I conclude about. And even if all that consideration give the result of you are wrong. <laughs> well, in that case, you, sh- you should be really merciful and try to help that person. And not just say, pointing and saying, you are the devil, you are against whoever, you are an offender. <laughs> and, but generally, we should be very... The acharya should be really... Uh, well, very many things to say. Of course, the acharya will have his own let's say, group or family or mission, and he will have his, his style, if you will, his mode of doing things, and naturally that will become some sort of extension to the, the ones who follow him or her. No? And, and that's okay. The point is that it doesn't get to the point of sectarianism, but any other, other expression is wrong, and we are the best. So you may feel, oh, my Gurudev is the best and the mood I have received from my Gurudev is the best for me. <laughs> but not the best for the whole universe. Because if not, I enter into this Amar Guru, Jagat Guru idea. My Guru is the Guru of the whole universe. I've heard people saying like that. And someone asking, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that every single person in the universe should be initiated by your Gurudev? And the person saying yes. I say, oh my God. <laughs> to begin with, that's not practical. <laughs> and, and that's not uh, that's not really deep. Not to think only my guru. Everyone should come to the feet of my guru because he's the topmost one. That's actually an extension of your own ego. <laughs> say, since my guru is the best of all, well, I'm his disciple. I'm the best of all. <laughs> that's how it will. But you can feel it yourself, oh yes, my Gurudev is the greatest. For yourself, between your God brothers, in in a proper way. But if another disciple from another Bhajan comes, you won't try to you won't try to convince him about the superiority of Shukrasana. Actually the etiquette there is Vaishnav can say, I will say, 
please chant the glories of your Guru Dev for me. And after he will chant, he will say, say you, and now chant your glories of your Guru Dev. It's not that, come and hear the glories of my Guru Dev. Just shut up and hear me. No, that's, that's not Vaishnavism. In, in Brihad Bhagavatam Rita, we find a very nice example of this. Where Gopakumar, his journey reached Ajodhya. And he meets Hanuman. <laughs> so, Gopakumar asks Hanuman. Both of them were devotees of the same person. In Tattva, the same person, Bhagavan. Tattva, huh? philosophical truth. But in Bhav, in emotion, different. Ram, for Hanuman, Madan Gopal, Vrindavan, Krishna Vrindavan, in Sakyaras for Gopakumar. But they knew we are worshipping the same person, but same and different. <laughs> so Gopakumar said to Hanuman, please, sing the glories of your Lord. So Hanuman starts to glorify Ramachandra. So uh, Gopakumar hears that glorification and he ends saying, Jai Sri Krishna. <laughs> no? His faith in Krishna becomes nurtured by hearing the glorification of Ramachandra. <laughs> and after that, Hanuman asks Gopakumar, please glorify your Madangopal. So Gopakumar starts to glorify Madangopal. And at the end, Hanuman says, Jai Sri Ram. <laughs> so that's how we should be inspired mutually in an ideal way. Chant the glories of your Gurudev, chant the glories of your Istadev. And if that's in a proper way, that will nurture my own faith in my Gurudev and my Istadev. And vice versa. So we are not here trying to impose ourselves, our, our taste, our mood in others. That's not Vaishnavism. <laughs> so this will be applied to this idea of, of the dividing line between absolute and relative considerations. Sila Sermas speaks a lot about this in Sri Guru and His Grace. About how Guru has this absolute, represents an absolute side, but it's also a relative side to Sri Guru. Long topic to speak now, but you can go to the book, that's much better. <laughs> but it's important to, to make this difference. That's a sign of you are becoming a progressive practitioner. Because as I said yesterday, in the beginning, a neophyte doesn't make this difference. For him, her, everything is the same. No absolute, no relative, no form of substance. It seems very, it sounds very essential, but actually it's pretty sentimental yet. Part of the process, but it's not all. So we need to, to separate certain things. Sometimes the Guru says something, but in a particular context to a particular person. So that's not applicable for the other one. So if you just take that out of context, instead of following the footsteps of your Guru, you are imitating. That's called Anukar and Anushar. Anukar means following what the other does. Anushar means following Sar, the essence of what the other is doing. <coughs> so we should be open for this criteria on so many levels. In the scripture we find that, in the Bhagavad we find so many elements that in one sense are relative. <laughs> in one, for example, uh, Bhagavad speaks about uh, 
I have I heard, I've heard the devotee saying the more important part of the fifth canto is where the Bhagavatam is speaking about the if the earth is round or flat. No? So big debate has been there all this last time. <laughs> and they say that's what the fifth canto is about. <laughs> and also the description of the hellish planets. <laughs> And also the, the, the material, the forest of material enjoyment. Uh, yes, that's, that's there and has some particular value, but in, in certain context, the most important part of the Bhagavad, every country is Bhakti. No? Bhagavatam is not an, an astronomy book. No? Uh, there may be some elements of astronomy and other things, but you should, you should go to the essential idea that this, uh, and understand maybe here it's saying something not everything in detail regarding astronomy but bhakti is the, the, the topic there so for example fifth country speaks about detailed description of hellish planets I've read bhakti no Thakur saying that description is not to be taken as literal oh it's like sometimes analogies there for example, for understanding a book of, about like the Bible, you also have to to get uh, like imbibed in certain uh, literary literary devices of the time. That's there also. Mm-hmm. To say that the Bhagavad speaks in different types of languages. Huh? It speaks like the like the Vedas, like the Puranas, or like the Kavya, the poetic books. Vedas means like a father, like giving orders, do this. No argument, do this. Purana is like a friend that tells you a story. Puranas are stories. So, come, come, I will tell the story and in that way teach you something. And Kavya means poetic, romantic language, hidden meanings in the, in the conversation. Between lovers, they speak something, but in, a, in, in their own language. The rest is understood thinking, oh, they are saying something, but they are saying something else. <laughs> so all this in the all these languages are there in the Bhagavad. But if you don't know about that, you may take everything in a particular way, in a literal way. We come from a Western culture that tends to take things in a literal way many times. And in Indian thought, not only Bhagavad, Indian thought, analogies are there always, symbolism, Elements that are part of the language of the culture that if you should know to detect that <laughs> in order to not say everything exactly in the literal sense of the term. Hmm? And that it doesn't mean you are rejecting the Bible. Actually, it means you are accepting it in a more substantial way. And with this, I'm not saying uh, Krishna is, a, uh, is a, a metaphorical figure and he actually didn't exist. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <clears throat> But there are certain elements that could be understood in that way. Bhaktin Thakur said like that. He even explained Krishna killing the demons in a uh, like archetypal way, like Jung, using Jungian terms, archetypes. Now each each demon representing a particular anartha. So you don't find that being said in the Bhagavad, nor in the old com- commentators, but Bhaktivinoda Thakur brought that approach 
and he made sense of that, explaining each, each, each of these demons in a very logical way to our logical Western sensibilities. <laughs> yeah. In that sense, no? For example, he say Putana represents the false guru. She presents in a very nice way that Putana came to Braj as a Lakshmi, but actually he was bringing some poison there. <laughs> so he understood, okay, there is some symbolic message there that actually is speaking us of this. It doesn't mean that Putana didn't exist, but there is also some layers of meaning there. So we find all these things. So I, I once even read, I think, Krishna Samhita from Bhaktivinotakur. And he explained the Das Avatar in evolutionist Darwinian terms. <laughs> like first the fish, then the turtle, and like the species development. So, <laughs> Okay, you can say that that's some adjustment he made trying to approach West culture. Maybe. But it's valid. I mean, try to understand his intention behind that. No? So, so yes, uh, an acharya should be ready to properly establish the siddhanta. Sometimes, in some cases, as we saw with Prabhupada, given relative siddhanta, circumstantially, in order to take the, that person to the absolute siddhanta eventually, As, as when he say with Susan disciple, you fall from the log. I mean, I'm sure Prabhupada's intention was not to maintain that person with that idea forever. <laughs> but circumstantially, he considered, yeah, thing like that. That would be good for you now. <laughs> but later, you have to learn something else. So we should understand no? that was that was not an absolute statement. It was a very specific circumstantial statement. <laughs> so we, are, we should learn how to separate the absolute from the relative and to become, to become sensitive enough, enough in order to how to adjust that in our presentation. And it, and, and it, will, it won't always be fully successful <laughs> because you may be speaking to an audience of 40 people and present one point and 39 of them are happy and one of them may feel you are doing something wrong. That happens. <laughs> That's the professional risk of preaching. <laughs> but no problem. I mean, we can also continue speaking and, and, and make clear that so-called confusion. So if, if something... That can happen sometimes. One, one Srila Prabhupada was speaking with Srila Bhaktura Kaksira Dev Goswami Maharaj. And, and one disciple of Prabhupada came and said, What were you speaking about? And Prabhupada said, If I were to tell you, you will faint. And of course he didn't say anything. <laughs> so the point is, there were some things that were maybe too high for some people to understand. But as, as we become qualified, we may become ready to properly understand that and not misunderstand that. So that's there, everyone. No? Before reaching the tenth canto, go through the first nine first. Things like this, no? 
Mahaprabhu was not speaking about rasa, tattva, except for with four intimate associates. So there is some like gradation, hierarchy, if you will, a protection actually. We should feel protected in that sense. But I, I think that that's important, no? Uh, how the other day one devotee told me that there was I don't know if what Krishna Shetra Maharaj or some other of Srila Prabhupada Sanyasi disciple who was making some sort of seminaries trying to properly explain some of Prabhupada's controversial statements regarding women, black people gay people and some other things that nowadays may seem like misogynist or racist or whatever but actually he was explaining that in order to, uh, to show he was not doing he was not being misogynist he was explaining that in a particular way that he was doing the, that same presentation in the, in the present language if you will so that's in service in this case of someone like Sivna Prabhupada does not say something different against him or against the previous Acharya. <laughs> so, parampara means a dynamic issue, no? dynamic participation. If not parampara, I mean, that means parampara. <laughs> the word parampara means parampara, one after the other. <laughs> one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. So what's the meaning of parampara if, if, if remember is not if, if just repeating him, himself, themselves in a static way. No ecstatic but static. <laughs> it becomes like a dead line basically. So some words about it. I don't know if the idea is clear or of course we can say much more, but at least something. One hour I spoke already. <laughs> so, because I consider it's an important topic to to understand and to speak about. So we shouldn't be afraid of speaking about anything. <laughs> Everything can be properly approached in a sincere and honest spirit. So we should feel that in Krishna consciousness that we can speak about everything here. In an open way, sincere way, if we are sincere, we will get to the proper conclusion, sure, I'm sure. Even if we defer on certain things, we will be able to harmonize those differences. <laughs> but if we are properly, if we agree in the most essential things, the difference will be an ornament, actually. So, no problem with the differences. <laughs> But if very small relative difference creates big chaos, it is showing we are not really properly connected into the essential thing. <laughs> so, something like that. I don't know if there is some other question, some other topic. We can have some time. This is our last talk, so we have time. Mm. 
Another question? <laughs> Was it clear what I said? Because as my Gurudev say, if someone doesn't say anything, it means they understood everything or they understood nothing. <laughs> so I want to make sure <laughs> because it's not only speaking and just it's there but trying to check some feedback if everything was properly digested it may take time to digest but <laughs> for us It's not my creation, <laughs> but it's what it is said in the Bhagavad Gita, what it is said in the Bhagavad, what it is said in Vedanta Sutra, what it is said in the Sandarvas of Jiva Goswami, which are the main theological work of our Sampadaya. Jiva Goswami is our Tattva Acharya, or, or that person between the six Goswamis who was specially empowered by Mahaprabhu to establish the Siddhanta. So this is this may be a little complex topic if this is the first time you are hearing, but hopefully it makes sense. If not, we can speak, and hopefully it doesn't create new controversy. <laughs> but well, I have to speak the truth, and the question is there. So 
actually, when we go into detail about where is the jiva coming, no? it's the origin of the soul, or all, the, all these questions that sometimes appears, no? it's the topic of beginning, no? beginning. Because our, of course, our philosophy is not like Christianity that presents this theory of uh, the world being created out of nothing, in Latin called ex nihilo, no? something didn't exist and suddenly starts to exist. The world, us, being created out of nothing. That's not our philosophy. Our philosophy is everything exists eternally. God exists eternally and his energies, shaktis, exists eternally with him. Maya Shakti, Tatasta Shakti, Swarup Shakti. So, there is no beginning to the world. I mean, there is a beginning and an end of cycles. There is no, there is no beginning to the cycles. <laughs> there is no initial point that before that there was nothing. No, we, we speak in terms of circular time. In the whole Eastern philosophy, they think in circular time terms. Western is more like linear time, like timeline. This is started here, but Vedic conception is circular time. No beginning. No beginning to the breathing of Mahavishnu, if you will, where all the cosmic manifestations are coming in, coming out, with inhale, exhaling. So the world has no beginning, Maya Shakti. The Jiva has no beginning. So the conditioning of the Jiva has no beginning. So that's what it's called in Sanskrit Anadi Karma. Anadi means no beginning. Sri Rupa Goswami used a different term in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. He said, when he spoke about different types of jivas, no? he spoke about Nitya Siddhas, means eternally liberated souls, who are always there, Nanda, Jasoda, Lalita, Vishaka, Subal, Madhu, Mangal, Raktak, Patrak, eternal associates of Krishna. They have always been there. It's not that Yasoda became Yasoda. <laughs> Although in Bhagavad we read, no, in previous life, Nanda and Yasoda performed austerities, and Vasudeva and Devaki performed austerities, Prishni and Sutapa, like this. But this does, in a particular context, it's not speaking that there were someone else. It's some... some well, it's other topic. That's not the topic. <laughs> uh, so, Nita Siddhas. Later we have Sadhana Siddhas. People who are rich Sita, Siddhi, perfection by practice. We have Kripa Siddhas. People who reach perfection through some extraordinary type of mercy. Even without Sadhana. Like Putana. That shouldn't be our goal. <laughs> No, oh, I won't practice anything and I will receive Kripa Siddhi. We are not of the club, of the Kripa Siddhi club. <laughs> it's like living your life is, oh, I won't work because I may win the lottery someday. So I, don't, I won't do anything. Most probably you won't win the lottery. <laughs> so better you start working. <laughs> and maybe you win the lottery, who knows? Most probably not. Exception to the rule. So this Kripa Siddhi is exception to the rule. And after that we have what Rupa Goswami calls Nitya Bada. Means eternally conditioned. So that's us. <laughs> now we are sadakas. We are no longer even Nitya Bada. We are 
in the midst of being a Bada and a Siddha, conditioned and a perfect soul. We are work in progress, what they call in English. <laughs> we are conditioned souls already being enlightened or cert- on a certain degree by the grace of Sri Guru Parampara. So that's called Sadaka, practitioners. But we come from this idea of Nitya Siddha, being conditioned eternally. Now, eternally doesn't mean no beginning and no end. So, the, the technical exact term is Anadi. Anadi means no beginning to your conditioning, but there is an end to, the con- to your conditioning. Nitya means no beginning, no end. But that was how Rupa Goswami explained it popularly. So, <clears throat> so, what you say in the question was right. I mean, actually, when we speak about Tatasta Shakti, it's, it's a different, it's a difficult topic because try to understand if someone tells you, this is what Vedanta Sutra says. Vedanta Sutra says like this. It's an important text. The Bhagavatam is, said, is mentioned as the natural commentary on the Vedanta. So naturally, if something is in the Vedanta, it must be in the Bhagavat as well. So at one point in the Vedanta Sutra, the text analyzes uh, if God is partial or impartial. So that's an important point. So the, the question is being presented. Is God partial? So the, script, the Vedanta Sutra said no. God is not partial. Samoham Sarbabhuti Su Sri Krishna Bhagavad I'm equal to everyone it would be a fault in God to be partial impartial no sorry partial <laughs> of course we know he's partial to his devotees but that's another he's partial inside par- impartiality another topic but so the Vedanta Sutta say okay but if God is impartial why we see so many different situations in, in people so different, so many different karmic dispositions in different people. God is partial. So Vedanta said no. Every person is in a different situation. Someone is poor, someone is rich, someone is tall, someone is small, because of their karma. <clears throat> okay. No? So the Vedanta Sutra like arguments itself and says, okay. Now it's like that, but when that karma began, began everyone, what, what, everyone began from, a, from, a, from the same situation. And the Vedanta said, no, because there is no beginning to karma. Anadi. End of the topic. <laughs> and the Vedanta continues with another idea. <clears throat> so, maybe we from this part of the world, Western countries, we need more explanation to that. Because if someone says to you, you your, your conditioning, in the, your, your conditioned experience doesn't have a beginning. Didn't have a beginning. It's, it, it's difficult to think in terms of that. Try to think about, you immediately think, when was the first time I... There's no first time. So, <laughs> some smoke starts to come from here. <laughs> because there's no beginning to the world cycles to Maya Shakti there's no beginning to the Jiva and karma means connection between Jiva and, and Maya Shakti 
So if the jivas in this condition shiva has no beginning, this world has no beginning, the connection between them, karma, has no beginning. In Bhagavad Gita, chapter 13, verse 12, uh, 20, the word anadi appears. Adi means beginning, anadi means no beginning. And, and, and the commentary to that verse, Baladevi Yabhushan says this thing. The war has no beginning, the jiva has no beginning, the relationship between the two has no beginning, anadi karma. Um, so, and in the Bhagavad, we, you find the word anadi so many times, so many times. And Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, one of the most made famous commentators, commentators of the Bhagavad, every time, almost every time the word anadi appears, he expresses from karma without beginning. So again, we cannot, we do not fall from Golok Vrindavan, from Vaikuntha, we already explained that very briefly, but I hope it, it made sense to you. I hope you, you, you are not thinking that you feel from the spiritual world. If you feel, if you feel that, tell me, and, and we keep explaining that till it's clear for you. <laughs> because that's a very delicate point. If you don't understand it clearly, you will be committing dham aparad, thinking the, the eternal abode of the Lord is fallible, and its inhabitants are, are fallible. That's an offense to the dham. But also, the idea of falling from Brahma Jyoti or <coughs> but also the idea of falling from whatever you may like to call Brahman, Brahma Jyoti, Tatashta uh, doesn't find real support in scriptures if you start to look uh, first of all we never read about the planet called Tatashta Loka no? Tatashta is a Shakti we are a Shakti no? but it doesn't mean we are a planet. No? <laughs> it's a Shakti. We are a Shakti. Tatashta means, <coughs> you know, <coughs> it refers to this line sometimes explained as the line between the ocean and the sand of the beach. So means it's, it's not a fixed line. You cannot establish and put your finger on the line. So it means we are very prone to be influenced by the environment. In the words of Srila Maharaj, we are a product of the environment. You associate with matter, you become like, like matter. You, are, you, you do not become matter, but you fully identify with that and you think, oh, I'm, I'm only matter. So many people think like this. <laughs> but you identify with Swarup Shakti, Bhakti Shakti, and, and, and you really become part of that abode. <clears throat> Actually, our constitution is more, uh, our potential is more connected to Swarup Shakti because we can live in that environment forever. But if you and if you entertain the idea of falling from Brahma Jyoti, some problems are there. You mentioned one. In the scripture it is say that in Brahman there is no gunas are not operating. There is no sattva, no rajas, no tamas. So how can you fall? I mean, Maya is made of Sattva, Raja, and Tamas. The ingredients of Maya Shakti are the three Gunas. So, how can you fall from some, one, some place if there is no Maya Shakti to make you fall? <laughs> so, I mean, 
How can you fall? I mean, what can make you fall from their place, from that place? Second, if if that's a place, let's imagine Brahman is a place attached to Loka. Let's let's for a minute have that idea. So, and sometimes we hear, okay, from that place you got the chance of choosing between material world and spiritual world. But according to thy philosophy, you have never been in in, in either of them or neither of them. No? So, what's the value of choosing something that you don't know? <laughs> you follow? I mean, if I if I if I have always been in, in Brahman, <laughs> let's say, and someone says, okay, you can go to Golakvindavan or whatever, some place in Vaikuntha, or you can go to the material world. But the point is, I have no experience in, in that philosophy, in that theory of one or the other. So what's the value of choosing something that I don't know what's that about? Do you follow? I mean, the value in a choice means you are voluntarily doing that because of certain awareness of what you are doing. Because it's just, if not like, choose this or choose that, okay, let's go there. <laughs> and even if, if someone says, no, no, but in that moment someone showed, showed has shown you some like glimpse of what's in one place, what's in another, like a trailer of a movie. No. <laughs> here you have this, here you have that. So if we consider that idea, how can we possibly choose to come here? <laughs> if we get a glimpse of Golang Vrindavan and the all-attractive abode of Krishna, there is no point of comparison. <laughs> so, so there are many ideas of this, like, like we find that there that, that makes this idea of falling from there also not uh, plausible. Plausible? You follow the idea? Possible. Okay. Easier <laughs> one. So this is the idea, actually. That, that if you go in depth, in, 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 and of course, of course, certain acharyas have said something different again. <laughs> As Prabhupada mentioned, uh, we fall from the log sometimes. Some other acharyas mentioned we fall from Brahma Jyoti. Again, with a particular idea in mind. But when you go to the Bhagavad, Vedanta Sutra, Bhagavad Gita, Goswami's books, you find something else. So again, you have to harmonize that. <laughs> and of course, you won't say, no, no, Jiva Goswami said something, but now this Acharya actually understood what Jiva Goswami was saying, and he's saying something different. No, it's, it's not, Siddhanta is not attained like that. Actually, you have to think, for example, someone says, Bhakti Nottakur in Jaiva Dharma, he speaks about, he appears to be speaking about falling from Brahman. So, again, what to do? <laughs> As I say, for a Kanishta Dikari, that's not a problem, because they are not paying attention to all these things. But a Dikari is, is in the middle of all these troubles, <laughs> trying to make sense of all the apparent contradictions here and there. But that's a necessary step in order to mature, to make your faith mature. Because our faith should be what we call Shastriya Shraddha. Means our faith should be like uh, founded on revelation of scriptures. So if, if, for that we have to go to the scriptures and learn to properly understand the scriptures and harmonize apparent contradictions there. And on that foundation, our faith will grow. 
If not, we will have what Vishwanath calls Lokiki Shraddha, which means like weak faith, like more like sentimental faith. So Bhakti not say that in Jaiva Dharma. <laughs> so many devotees have written to me on different occasions. <laughs> I'm a little bit accustomed to some controversy. And they would say, no, Maharaj, we are saying about, uh, speaking about Anadi Karma, but Bhakti Thakur say this in Jaiva Dharma. Yeah, okay, I do not deny that, but we have to harmonize. I, I, I'm not thinking Bhakti Thakur was wrong, he didn't know about Jiva Goswami. But also, I, I say to that devotee once, okay, he said that in Jaiva Dharma, after he wrote Jaiva Dharma, there is one famous song book of Bhakti not called Gita Bali, and there is one song that starts saying Anadi Karma Fale. <laughs> he starts speaking about Anadi Karma, and after that he wrote one commentary to Brahma Samhita, and in some of the purports to the one verse, so some verses, he's speaking about the karma without beginning. After he wrote Taivadharma and said, apparently we fall from Brahma. <laughs> so. Huh? We have, we have to, to put all in, in, in consideration. So, if he says something else apart from the Siddhanta, well, that must have been some preaching strategy. No problem. I mean, we are not, it's not an insult to the Acharya to say that. <laughs> because if not, what we have to do? We have to take that at absolute. And we have to say again, Prabhupada said before from Golok, I cannot call it a preaching strategy. What, what do you call that? <laughs> you will make a whole new Siddhanta out of that idea that's not pleasing to Prabhupada uh, so the, this is the idea actually no? we do not fall from Vaikuntha we do not fall from Brahman we do not fall from anywhere <laughs> we are falling without beginning <laughs> and that's not a problem I mean, because we may say oh why well that's that starts the problem. We start to, to, to ask why, to question Krishna's idea. <laughs> because the point is the following. You, someone may ask, why Krishna didn't make the things differently? <laughs> so the point is that Krishna, why Krishna didn't create us in a different way? So we will be eternally conditioned souls. But the point is that Krishna didn't create anything. He exists eternally with all his shaktis. <laughs> so we shouldn't judge God on the basis of what he created or he did not create because he didn't create anything. Everything exists with him eternally. So we should judge, if you will, God according to how he behaves to those things that are already existing with Him eternally. <laughs> so, the world exists eternally, the souls exist eternally. No, it's not that Krishna someday consider, okay, I will make this exist, oh, I made a mistake, I could have done it better. God exists, Shakti Mam, the energetic one, and Shakti, the energies, exist. So, how does God behave? to that which already exists, that's the real point. In order to free God from any defect. So, 
Because God exists, Maya Shakti is there, material world is there, He cannot be neglectful to one of His Shaktis. He will be faulty of indifference. <laughs> but material energy without souls doesn't make sense. I mean, the material world without souls in the material world, I mean, matter needs spirit to be activated. <laughs> so, in order not to neglect material energy, there, are, there will be always souls activating material energy. And in order for those souls to have the chance of transcending material energy, there will be always the chance of getting in touch with Bhakti. So, the world is not without beginning, Anadi. <laughs> the presence of conditioned souls here is without beginning, Anadi. But the presence of Bhakti in the world is without beginning, Anadi. So, so if we say, oh, why I am conditioned without beginning? Krishna said, what? But without beginning I gave you Bhakti also, if you wanted. <laughs> so the world is always there. The world is always there, existing. The souls, conditioned souls are always there. But Bhakti is always there in the world, so we can go out of the world. <laughs> So there is no fault in God. He's paying proper attention to the material world by, and He's paying proper attention to us, giving the chance of getting in touch with Bhakti. But we had our free will to choose that or not. So maybe till this present lifetime, before this present lifetime, we were just wandering in another direction. <laughs> But now we are having the chance of voluntarily choose bhakti. And, and that represents the end of all the material sejong. <coughs> and this in Sanskrit is called Shristi Lila. <laughs> we have the Nitya Lila in Vaikuntha, <coughs> but all this creation and we here and all this thing is also some Lila of Bhagavan. <laughs> called Shristi Lila means the lila of creation, creational lila. And Vedanta Sutra says, Loka Vatu Lila Kaivalyam. This, this world, this all, all this material experience appears as an expression of the joy of Bhagavan. <laughs> Without beginning, but its source is Krishna's source, uh, happiness. Because if you properly, if you properly understand who are you and what's the world? There's no problem with the world. Actually. It's not, it's not entangling anymore. <laughs> and because of that our acharyas do not pray to get out of the world. But to develop bhakti. When you have bhakti, the world becomes a paraphernalia to offer Krishna service. This is what's this is what Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta said. He said the arctic, the arctic plate, incense, lamp, flower, represent the five elements. Earth, air, water, fire, like this. 
And all this world is made of those five elements. So when you offer the artist, you are offering the world, the world is being represented in that plate. So what do we do with the world? We offer it first to Bhagavan. <laughs> and after that we receive the remnants of the world in touch with Bhagavan and that purifies us. So that ceremony is symbolizing this idea of entering in touch with the world but only to offer it to Bhagavan. <laughs> to see every atom as paraphernalia. So, and, and, and the whole world because an abode of joy. Hmm? So, Krishna in Bhagavad Gita says to Arjuna, Dukalayama Sashvatam. On one side, he says, This world is miserable and temporary. <laughs> but he's saying that for someone who is attached in a negative way. He said, Dukalayam, this world is full of misery. Huh? And you may say, for me it's not full of misery. I have just won the lottery. I'm going to Cancun. I'm so happy. <laughs> but he mentioned the second term, Asasrotam. means it's temporary. <laughs> so no matter how nice you are enjoying now, it has an end. <laughs> so that will be miserable. <laughs> But on the other side, we, we found prayers like Vishwam Purnam Sukhayate, means the whole universe is an abode of joy. So, okay. so the point is, the world is miserable if you are just exploiting it. But if, if you see the world with devotional eyes, it's full of joy, it's full of service opportunities. <laughs> so we say yesterday, Try to change your angle of vision, Chilasir Marx will say. <laughs> so, these will be some words regarding your question. Of course, we can. I know it's a complex topic, and if we were maybe accustomed to, to have another idea, as I had for many years, uh, it may take some time to properly digest that. But, but that's actually the Siddhanta regarding that particular topic of, of Jiva Tattva. Uh, so, hopefully, no controversy is created by this. I, it was not my plan to speak about that, but the question was there, so I feel well, okay, Krishna wants me to, to speak about that. And of course, sometimes controversy has a healthy side if, if it takes us to think beyond our comfort zone, if you will. Not feeling like threatened by invited to open the, the perimeter <laughs> the bigger, to see the bigger picture as you say in English so this will be the idea so that's Srishti Lila actually no? so there will be always Jivas in the world Haridas Thakur once asked that to Mahaprabhu he said oh when all the Jivas here will be freed by your grace, the world will become empty. <laughs> so what will happen to the world without Jesus? It, it doesn't make sense. So Mahaprabhu gave the Siddhanta, said, no, no. There will be always new Jivas. New, let's say new. I mean, Jivas are unlimited. It's not like a limited number. So there will be a point that there are all Jivas are there in Vaikuntha and all here is empty. 
there are unlimited jivas. <laughs> so there will be new, new again, no beginning, but coming, appearing in this world, another world. So we should get accustomed to think in unlimited terms. We have to go beyond our head for that. <laughs> this part cannot think in unlimited terms. So that's the idea, to go beyond that. <laughs> but sometimes our acharyas spoke these things in detail because they were already given some topics that were above our head and they wanted us to be properly situated in that. No? Knowing with time they will know all the other further details. Because Gaudiya Vaishnavism is really above our head. No? So <laughs> we should learn to properly digest it in such, in such a way that we don't become overwhelmed and we feel, oh, this is too much. I, I will leave it. No? So to, in, in proper doses, no? we have to take it in such a way that it becomes nurturing, inspiring, <laughs> but also always dynamic and progressive and open to to learn new things maybe you understood something for 15 years and you realize oh it was not the final idea about it okay no problem we continue probably <laughs> it's okay we should be open to learn when Sukadev was trying was speaking to Bhagavad his own father and his guru's father Vyasa Nara was there in the audience hearing him they, were, they knew something new will, will appear there we, can, we don't want to lose that they were, they were not thinking, I'm his father, Vyasa, and I'm his guru's father, I have nothing to learn from him. They understood the, the dynamic of this school is oh, always something new will come. Mm-hmm. So Srila Sri said that, we are students forever. He was saying that, we are students forever. There will never come the time that you become a teacher. I mean, you may externally act as such, but internally you should feel yourself student. <laughs> student. <laughs> Servant. He's a student. Disciple is a student. In Golovirdavan, everyone feels a disciple, student. Servant. <laughs> but everyone is the topmost teacher there. So that's a paradoxical nature of high things. <laughs> so we should know how to deal with that. <clears throat> was clear or now you are much more confused than before? <laughs> I think that by your mercy I catch your vision. Ah. Question maybe there, but time is over. Maybe tomorrow. I, I understand that tomorrow we are still here. I have no problem, yeah. You can come in the evening and continue. Yes, of course. I have in my crazy mind two topics. <laughs> <laughs> about this and I think that you can nicely explain some okay. nice point about this and I have connected with this topic I which uh, is spoken generally about this and in my crazy mind I'm open to that <laughs> Bhavati if it's open we can continue yeah, yeah. tomorrow Bhavati is our scripting have to with idea yeah of course of course my initial idea was that I was saying Malti why not something on Sunday as she was explaining us, generally we do not do on Sunday, they want to do some other things, so okay. But if the audience wants, of course I'm still here and and I'm here for this mainly, so I'm yeah. happy to to share with okay, you. Tomorrow, um, tomorrow we will continue. Yeah, yeah, because I think today we already spoken almost more than one hour and a half, so also sometime will will help to digest for tomorrow's next 
meal. No, if you will. First digest this meal, tomorrow we continue. So we don't die of indigestion, no? So gradual. <laughs> but yes, tomorrow if you want, at the same time we can meet and receive some other questions and topics connected or whatever. So thanks so much for all of you, for your time, for your presence, your questions. Thank you.